Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Excuse me. Then Ananias answered, Brian, am I back on? Okay, thank you. Then Ananias answered, verse 13, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent time, some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But, they, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. <clears throat> but they were, <clears throat> excuse me, they were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And then he had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them in Jerusalem. Coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. And disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out. They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So in our last study, we covered uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19 this morning. Uh, we're going to continue that study. But last time we were together, we revisited the idea that God uses ordinary people. He uses ordinary, everyday followers of Jesus, just like you and me, to do extraordinary things. We looked last time at Ananias. He was just a follower of Jesus. He was somebody that's only mentioned one time in the Bible. But God called him to go and pray for Saul of Tarsus in order that he might receive his sight. And we took time last time we were together 
uh, to look at how Gaul, uh, God called Saul of Tarsus a chosen vessel of his. And we discovered that was also true of Ananias, right? Even though he was just an everyday, ordinary follower of Jesus Christ, God had a work for him, which made him a chosen vessel of the Lord also. And we also took time, we talked about last time, uh, we talked about the call of Ananias, right? The call that God had placed on him, right? He told him to go to the street called Straight. And he was told to inquire the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. And we talked about how crazy and potentially dangerous that could have been. We also learned that God had showed Saul that a man named Ananias was going to uh, come and lay hands on him that he would receive his sight. And from this, we concluded two things. One, we never have to be afraid uh, of whatever God calls us to do. Because two, God works both ends of the problem. He called Ananias to go to Saul, while at the same time, Saul, God was preparing Saul's heart to receive Ananias. Uh, even before Ananias went to pray for Saul. And we left, the, we left the study there. and We saw Saul, he was healed, and he spent time with the disciples in Damascus. And so now we pick it up in verse 20. And it says, immediately he, speaking of Saul, preached the Christ in the synagogues that he was the son of God. As you read the letters of Paul, you discover that he had a great desire to see his countrymen saved. Romans 3, uh, sorry, Romans 9, verse 3, Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Immediately upon Saul's conversion, his desire was for the Jews. He wanted to share Jesus with his fellow Jews. He wanted them to experiencing that life-changing love of God like he had experienced, right? He wanted them to meet the Son of God, the promised Messiah, um, whom all the Jews were waiting for, right? So what's the best place to find Jews gathered together in one spot? Well, it's the synagogue, right? So he goes off, Saul runs off to the synagogue. Now, it's a custom in, the, in these days, it was a custom in these days, that if there was a distinguished rabbi present in the synagogue, right, he was visiting the synagogue, they would invite him to speak. And Saul of Tarsus was a distinguished rabbi. He wore the, the clothes of a distinguished rabbi. He had the speech of a veg, very educated man, a man that was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, one of Israel's most famous rabbis, most distinguished rabbis. He had the reputation of uh, persecuting the church, right? Saul did. So when the opportunity was offered to him to speak, he took advantage of it and he began to preach Christ. He preached that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Interestingly enough, this is the second time in the book of Acts, right? The second and the last time in the book of Acts that we see this title used in regards to Jesus, right? Interestingly enough, uh, the only other time that we see this title 
used of Jesus is when the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip if he could be baptized, right? Um, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, um, you know, you may. And the Ethiopian eunuch answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And even though it's not a title frequently used in the book of Acts, it's, it was central to Saul's message in the synagogue. And it's been this, and it was the center of his teaching on Jesus throughout his ministry and his lifelong walk with Jesus. And we know that because he uses this title, Jesus being the Son of God, at least 15 times in his other writings, right? Why is it important to, to take note of this? Well, it's important because many people today think that Jesus is a son of God, right? They, but they don't believe that he is God the son, right? People will say Jesus is the son of God, you know, a son of God, in the same sense that each one of us are sons of God, right? Created by God, but not actually God, right? But this verse very clearly declares Jesus to be God the Son. And we can use it uh, to prove it to others. You see, for the Jews at this time, to hear that someone, to hear that Jesus is uh, the Son of God, it was clearly understood that it meant that he was equal to God. He was entirely God. In those days, to be called the son of somebody, the son of Gary, uh, the son of insert your dad's name here. Uh, you know, to be called the son, what it meant is their identity was your identity, right? So when Jesus called himself the son of God, when others called him the son of God, right, it was understood as a clear claim of deity. And we need to make sure that we never shy away from sharing Christ as the Son of God and God the Son, when we share him with other people. It was Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal God, the, the, the second person of the Godhead, motivated by love, who became flesh. It was Jesus who took our sins upon him, died on the cross, he was crucified, dying, taking our penalty, dying in our place. Then he was buried, and it was the same Jesus who rose bodily from the grave, and it's through his sacrifice alone and faith in his substitutionary sacrifice that we have forgiveness for our sins, right? And it's through faith in him alone that we're born again, reconciled to the Father, which just means we've been brought into a right relationship with the Father. And that was Saul slash Paul's message throughout his life. And that needs to be our message to our friends and family, to our neighbors and co-workers. It needs to be our message to everyone that we run across too. In verse 21, it says, And all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for the purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? Everyone that heard that Saul was uh, now a believer... Everyone that heard him preach, they were amazed. They were surprised. You know, isn't this the guy who's trying to destroy the church? And now he's a believer? 
right? Maybe to bring it a little closer to home. Maybe it's something that you experienced. I mean, weren't people surprised when they found out that you, you were now a Christian? I know it's true in my life. I remember Calvary Costa Mesa after a study in the foyer, seeing, seeing a friend of mine across the foyer, maybe, I don't know, 25 yards across. And we looked at each other. And both of us said, mouth the same thing. No way. You're a Christian? I mean, it was surprising. Well, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have uh, passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Saul not only wrote that as Paul the apostle, but he lived it as Saul of Tarsus. Right, and as true as it is, as true as it was for him, the same thing is true for you and I, right? We've been justified. We've been declared not guilty, right? As we've placed our faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, our sins have been forgiven. The, our slates have been wiped clean, and now we've been made a new creation. Well, hey, Gare, if that's true... <laughs> Why do I struggle so much? Well, the Bible teaches that we have been justified and we're currently, as well as in the process of, being sanctified, right? We are sanctified and we are being sanctified. And the word sanctified simply means to be set apart, right? We are set apart to God and we have been set apart from sin. We're sanctified positionally in Christ Jesus. But practically, we're being sanctified. It's an ongoing process. And we're learning to say no to sin during this process. We're learning to die to self. We're, we're learning to put off our former conduct and putting on the new man, right? We're learning to present ourselves a living sacrifice, not being conformed to this world, not being pressed into its mold. And we're learning to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's the process of growing in Christ that we all are going through. But why is it so hard? Well, Paul says, Galatians 5, 17, he says it's hard because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if we're constantly walking in the spirit, if we're surrendered and led by the Holy Spirit, then we're not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. This Christian life is one that constantly needs the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us through. We can't do it on our own strength. It's impossible. Christianity is not intended to be lived according to our own strength, power, or determination, right? The Christian walk and life requires the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, Paul, it says, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now many days, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, somewhere here, Paul goes off to Arabia. 
Some put it between verses 21 and 22. Others put it between verses 22 and 23. Personally, uh, I know it's here someplace, but I'm not entirely sure where. The sequence of events, though, are these. First, Paul gets saved. Saul gets saved. Secondly, Saul preaches in the synagogues of Damascus. Then Galatians 1, 15 through 17 says, Paul writes, he says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's wombs and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might uh, preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So it was during this time in Arabia that Jesus personally reveals the gospel to Paul. Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, But I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. For I neither uh, received it from men, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was schooled in every picture and type of the Messiah contained in the Old Testament, which points to Jesus Christ. The Lord also revealed to him during this time in Arabia seven mysteries that were not previously uh, understood. And you may want to write these down and look them up later. Uh, the first mystery, number one, the mystery of the faith, faith uh, 1 Timothy 3, 9. Number two, the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16. Number three, uh, the mystery of Christ and the church. It's found in Romans 16.25-27 and Ephesians um, 3.3-10. The fourth mystery is the mystery of Christ in the saint, Colossians 1.27. The fifth mystery, the blindness of Israel, Romans eleven twenty five. The mystery of lawlessness is the sixth mystery. And I'll repeat these for you in case I'm going too fast. Then it's Second Thessalonians 2, 7. And then the final mystery revealed to Paul by Jesus Christ. It's the rapture of the church, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 15, 17. So again, the mysteries. Um, number one, mystery of the faith. First Timothy 3, 9. Number two, mystery of godliness. First Timothy 3, 16. Number three, mystery of Christ and the church. Romans 16, 25 through 27. Ephesians 3, 3 through 10. Number four, the mystery of Christ in the saint. Colossians 1.27. Number five, the blindness of Israel. Romans 11.25. Sixth mystery, the mystery of lawlessness. 2 Thessalonians 2.7. The seventh, the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15.51. And 1 Thessalonians 4.15-17. Now, each of these seven things which God revealed to Paul, we also should be thoroughly acquainted with. How long did Saul, uh, how long was Saul in Arabia before he returns to Damascus? 
I don't think we actually know, okay? Paul continues in Galatians 1, verse 18, saying, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days, right? Based on this verse, some people say that he was in the desert for three years, right? I read it this way. I read it that he returned to Damascus, uh, verse 17. Then after three years, he went up to Jerusalem, verse 18. And, and I'm not sure that all of that is important, though, because whenever he was in Arabia and however long he was there, verse 22 says in Acts chapter 9, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. After being in the desert with Jesus, after having the gospel revealed to him by Jesus, now Saul has a greater understanding of the word, and he's now able to prove from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the promised Messiah. And we should understand the same is true for us, right? The more you know the word of God, and we need to be men and women of the word, but the more you know the word of God, the more effectively you're able to show others that Jesus is indeed the savior of the world. Prophesied in many cases, thousands and thousands of years before he was ever born. Acts chapter 9, verse 23, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Saul's heart was to win the Jews to Jesus Christ. But they, they wouldn't hear him. Right? He thought he could persuade them, but they responded with hatred and set out to kill him. And it says in verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, they tried to, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him and they didn't believe that he was a disciple. Now I find this very ironic. Saul went to Damascus on a mission, right? He was going to enter the, the, the city of Damascus as a representative of the high priest. He came with letters of authority you know, he came with this background of education and, and he had a tremendous amount of zeal, but he ends up fleeing for his life, right? He's let down out of a, out of a window in the wall in a basket, uh, no less. Saul gets radically saved, but, when he, but uh, when he flees to Jerusalem, nobody believes that he's a believer, I mean, talk about discouraging. And then in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them in Jerusalem coming in and out. I don't know about you guys, but I thank God for Barnabas. You know what I Someone who, in spite of your past, is willing to be a friend, willing to think the best of you, willing to stand up for you regardless what others may say or think about you. 
I'm so thankful for Barnabas's in my life. But it's in this verse that we see that it's the word of this trusted man. It's on the word of Barnabas that the disciples received Paul. Barnabas took time to get to know Saul, right? He listened to his testimony. He watched his life, right? And I'm certain that true to his name, right, uh, the son of encouragement, and that's what the, that's what the name Barnabas means. It, it me, literally means the son of encouragement. And I'm certain that true to his name, Barnabas spoke encouragement to Saul, right? Barnabas was a friend to Saul. He invited Saul to go with him to the fellowship of the brethren. And as a result of Barnabas being willing to invest time in Saul, Saul was well-received by the church. Sometimes I wonder how often the opposite is true. How many people come to Christ and no one takes time to reach out to them? You know, to befriend them, to come alongside of them, and, to, and, and as a result, they walk away embittered. Right? There are people out there, there are people out there who need us to be Barnabases to them. Right? There are people out there in this world that are, that are discouraged and they're downtrodden. Their hearts are broken. Right? There are people out there in this dark and dying world that are just treated as outcasts. Right? People are just waiting for one of us to be a Barnabas to them. Right? We need to spend time with people. We need to invest in them. We need to invite them to church. Not just one time. Hey, they may reject you, but you just keep inviting. Hey, how about coming to church? You know what? We need to pour our lives into people. We need to walk with them and help them navigate the challenges, the challenges we face in this world as believers, right? These people need us to love them. And that's what God has called us to do. In verse 29, he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus and disputed amongst the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. I mean, Saul, he's a fire plug, man. I like this guy. He has a fire deep within his heart, right? And it was a, this fire, it was this fire that compels him to share Christ with people who, who don't yet know him. And I pray that God would give us that kind of fire in our hearts. Right? It was that fire deep in Paul's heart that motivated him to speak boldly. Right? And this is the second time we see the word boldly used in Acts chapter 9. The first time, verse 27, we see Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And now in verse 29, we see he, he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus. Well, where did Saul get that kind of boldness? I mean, where did it come from? Right? Well, some would say, that's just the kind of guy he was. That's just Saul for you. I mean, you know, it's just the way it was. And that may be true to some extent, but I don't think that's the entire answer, right? I think that boldness comes from three things. And I'd encourage you, if you desire boldness in your walk with Jesus Christ, if you desire to be a bold witness for your Savior, then you might want to write these things down also. Okay, where did Saul get the boldness from? First, Saul had an understanding 
with the glory of God. Right? He understood what the true nature of God is, who he is and what he's like. He's holy. He's loving. He's merciful. And his mercy never ends. Boy, I like reading those verses in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, God's mercy never ends. God's gracious. He's forgiving. May we have an understanding of the glory of God. Secondly, Saul had an understanding of who he really was, right? He was a sinner saved by grace. Somebody on this trip asked me, hey, Gary, will you share your testimony with me? I said, yeah, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's it. Same testimony as all of you. We share the same thing, right? Saul knew he was a sinner saved by grace, and he knew how much he was forgiven. He was forgiven so much. And Jesus said, those that are forgiven much, love much. Saul never forgot who he was before he met Jesus and how much the Lord had forgiven him. And again, may God help us to never forget who we were before we met Jesus and how much he had forgiven us. The third thing that creates boldness in Saul, I think, and can create boldness in us, is Saul had an understanding of the need of salvation in regards to the people around him. He knew that Jesus is what the people around him needed most. He knew that the people around him were hopelessly lost. And he had what they were in need of. You know what Paul wrote later? He wrote to the church of Rome, Romans uh, 1, 14 and 16, verse 14, he said, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and unwise. And then in verse 16, Paul uh, finishes up saying, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul saw preaching the gospel and speaking boldly uh, to others. In regards to Jesus Christ and the salvation that's offered by him, he saw it as a debt. He, he saw it as something that he owed to the Jews and the, the Greeks. He owed it to them to tell them about the love of God, the forgiveness of sins, which they could receive, right? Without which they would be eternally separated from God the Father. And again, may we be constantly reminded, right, that we've been given the words of life. We've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, right? And may we see in our own minds that we owe it to other people to share Christ, to share the gospel with those that, that are around us. I mean, we have the cure for the disease of sin, which everyone in the world is infected with. Hey, while we were on this trip, you know, um, we spent days uh, in the desert with Bedouins, a completely unreached people group. And I tell you what, Saul allowed these three things to move him to action. He didn't allow time or familiarity with the gospel to cool the fire he had deep within his heart. How I pray that these things would move me to action. How I pray these things would move us to action. That 
they would move us to share Christ with our friends and family. That they would move us to speak of Jesus to our neighbors and the people that God places in our lives. Right? How I pray these things would move us to speak boldly with an urgency because you know what? The time is short. The time is very short. We can't allow our hearts to grow cold, right? Or make excuses for not sharing with others around us. We can't allow our hearts to lose the awe of God that we received when we first became Christians, right? We can't allow our hearts to lose an understanding of how great our God is and just exactly what it is that he saved us from, the things that he's done for us. Everyone we know, everyone you know, everyone I know, everyone we see has a need for Jesus, right? And we, and we are the only ones that can tell them. If we don't tell people about Jesus, who will? Verse 29, it says, And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. And I find this very interesting because here we see Saul is taking up the ministry of Stephen. Remember back in Acts chapter 6, Stephen was disputing with, it says, some uh, from what was called the synagogue of freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. They were Hellenists. They were Jews who either came from or embraced the Greek culture. And now Saul is doing the same thing. He's disputing uh, with them just like Stephen was. And I think this is important to notice because it's important for us to understand the type of influence that we can have on others. I mean, I, I think it's crazy the influence that we can have on others while being unaware of it, right? As we just live our life for Christ. I mean, uh, just unaware of the influence we have on others. And also, it's crazy to think about it, but also they can be unaware of the influence that we have for Je for, uh, on them for Jesus Christ in many cases as we just live for him openly, honestly. Verse 29 says, and, they spoke, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. As a result of the dispute, and the implication is that the men uh, he disputed with were unable to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Saul spoke, just like they were unable to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke in Acts 6. And as a result of this, they wanted to kill him. You know, I mean, think about it. If people wanted to kill me every place I went, you know, I'd quickly develop a desire just to give up. You know, and honestly, I'm tempted to give up uh, under a lot less than threat of death. How did Paul resist the desire to give up? How did Paul keep going forward? Again, I, I think there's three things that we can learn. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10, Paul writes, Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead, who delivers us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. 
Paul was able to keep going because he trusted God with his life. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Paul says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above with, uh, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The second thing that kept Paul going in face of just discouragement and threat of death was he set his mind on heavenly things. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You, speaking of the Lord, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In all things, if your eyes are fixed on the Lord, if our hearts are set in him, on him, and our hope is placed firmly in him, he promises to see us through. We just need to realize that. He promises that he will strengthen us and keep us going uh, because he loves us. Because ultimately, it will result in his glory. Therefore, he's never going to leave us and never going to forsake us. Verse 30, when the brethren found out they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out uh, to Tarsus. Now, keep your finger here in Acts chapter 9 and turn really quick with me to Acts chapter 22, right? Um, and we'll look at kind of the rest of the story or at least uh, an augmentation of that story, right? Um, Acts 22, and we'll pick it up in verse 12. Acts twenty-two twelve. It says, then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple. I was in a trance and, he, and, and saw him, speaking of Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far away from here to the Gentiles. After spending 15 days with Peter in Jerusalem, Paul goes into the temple, goes up to the temple, and God tells him to get out of Jerusalem. So he goes to Tarsus, where he spends the next seven to ten years in total obscurity. Now turn back to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the churches throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The churches had peace. 
They were edified. They were built up. And the body of believers were multiplied. They walked in fear and reverence, honoring the Lord, and they had the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read it literally, all of this happened after Paul left, right? And I think it's a great lesson for us here. Paul had such a heart for the Jews. As we mentioned previously, he said he was willing to be accursed that they would be saved. And I'm certain that he thought that he was the one uh, who was best suited, even uh, gifted for the ministry to the Jews. I mean, really, who knew the Old Testament better than Paul, all right? Who had every picture and type of Jesus explained to him in the Old Testament by Jesus, right? Who better equipped for that ministry than Paul? And we just read in Acts chapter 22 that Paul basically said, Lord, are you kidding me? I mean, what are you talking about? These people know me. They know my past. They know that I've tried to persecute and destroy the church, right? How I, they know how I've imprisoned and even beat Christians, right? And they know that, they know and they can clearly see that I've been changed. Of course they're going to listen to me. When Paul got saved, he went into the synagogue to preach, and they rejected him. When he went to Jerusalem, he wasn't received there either. When he shared Christ, they wanted to kill him. Why? I think the answer is found in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, right? And you can look down at it. It says, but the Lord said to him, speaking of Ananias, go, for he, Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Paul was first called to Gentiles, then to kings, and then, lastly, to the Jews. And in Acts 22, verse 21, the verse we just read a minute ago, God reminds Paul of this calling. Acts 22, 21 says, and he said to me, depart for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. God reminds Paul that his calling is to the Gentiles. And I think this is a, a lesson. Maybe it's a lesson for you this morning, but it's a lesson in, in general for all of us. Maybe you've been frustrated in ministry and can't really figure out why things aren't working out. And maybe you see your giftings and your heart for ministry and as it relates in a specific area that you feel drawn to. But it's not where God has called you. It's not where you've been called. And Paul was the, he was the greatest Jewish mind of his day. We know this from his writings. I mean, his arguments, his logic, his vocabulary. Who better to minister to the Jews, then Paul. The only problem was God had called him to the Gentiles. And you know, on the other hand, Peter, man, that guy was an accident waiting to happen. Man, I mean, he opens his mouth, the foot goes in. Uh, he had no formal training in the scriptures. He was just a common fisherman. Yet God called him to the Jews. Why? I mean, it just seems so backwards at times. 
And the answer is that God often calls us to areas of ministry that is outside of our natural abilities. And in doing so, it ensures that God will receive all the glory from our efforts. So often we get saved and we want to share Christ with the world. We want to tell everyone we see all about Jesus, but we often only share with those people we think that we can save, right? In our own strengths and natural abilities, kind of like Saul. And what there is, is little or no fruit from our efforts. We get rejected. We feel let down. You know, kind of like Saul being let down in the basket. <laughs> and it, you know what? It's humiliating. It's humiliating. And, uh, you know, then discouragement sets in. And then we stop stepping out. Right? Maybe we even begin to think that, you know what? Maybe ministry's not for me. Right? And the next seven to ten years is spent in obscurity. You know what? We're still Christians, you know? But we've given up on hope of ever being used mightily for God. Like, other, like those other guys who seem to be drowning. I mean, they're not even trying. Half efforts, and it seems to be that they're drowning in, in fruitfulness of ministry. And I think that Paul was seven to ten years in Tarsus because that was the time that it took to give up on his hopes of reaching the Jews, right? Reaching them his way. And it may uh, have been that that was the time it, it took to give in to reaching the Gentiles first, right? Then kings, and then finally the Jews, reaching out to them all God's way. You know, we can't ever fall into the trap of trying to get the Lord to go our way in ministry, right? The way we think is the right way to go. Lord, I think that I'm called here. I would do a better job over there. You don't seem to understand. We can't fall into that trap. We need to learn to abandon our plans and ideas and give into God's plan for our lives in ministry. We're saved not to have a great life, not to have a you know, a big house or a nice car. We're saved in order that we will serve Jesus Christ, bring glory to his name. And when you're let down, look up, right? Don't give up, just give in, right? When we do that, like Saul of Tarsus, what happens is a Paul the apostle will finally emerge, so to speak, Right? And ministry will be fruitful. It'll be led by the Holy Spirit. It'll be glorifying to God. And it'll be done God's way in God's power and strength. Right? Without the Lord going in my strength, you know, in my power and my wisdom, going in my determination to make things happen, ministry only results in being burned out. Ministry needs to be done God's way. Jesus said, Matthew 11, 28, 29, you know these verses. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The idea of the yoke is to be teamed up. Now, the farmer would take the, and put the yoke on the stronger, smarter ox, and then he would yoke a dumber, weaker ox to him. So which ox do you think you are? You know, the lead ox did all the work. He pulled the heavy load. And the other ox was just basically along for the ride while learning from the stronger, smarter ox. You know, if we try to go forward in our own strength, you know, in our own wisdom and ability, if we just seek to go where we want to go, you know what, what's going to happen is we're just going to be fighting against what the Lord wants to do and that furrow is going to be all over the place. It's not going to work out. But when we're walking with the Lord, when we're involved in ministry with the Lord, hey, His desire is to lead and for us to follow. That's what He wants for us. He wants us to follow. We're just along for the ride so that we can learn from Him and fall more in love with Him. Right? And as we do, his calling on our life will flourish and bear fruit, right? We'll experience his peace. There'll be edification and growth and we'll be honoring him and we'll enjoy the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And boy, isn't that what you want uh, in your walk with Jesus Christ? That's what I want. Knowing him and making him known, bringing glory to his name. I mean, I love this chapter. We're not done with this chapter, but I love this section of chapter because of the encouragement that it brings to us as believers. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and encouragement. And Lord, I just pray in spite of me, in spite of my weaknesses, that I pray that you would speak to the hearts of every individual here. Lord, those watching online and those that maybe are gonna watch this study at a later date. Lord, help us to just surrender. Help us to just follow and fall in love. Lord, help us not to be discouraged, but just go with the flow along for the ride. See you do amazing and wonderful things through us, ordinary followers of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen.